Yes, yes, yes. That's good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. We're going to talk about that today. Look what the Lord has done. Uh, it's a great, a great old song. Uh, might have brought up great memories of some place you were when you first heard that song. And some of you are saying, I ain't never heard that song in my life. Okay, well, that's okay, too. It was still a good song. And uh, to, to remember everything God has done is such a vital part of the scriptures. The scriptures are always telling us to remember. In, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, you will often find that they discover this new attribute of God. Now, it wasn't new, really new. It was just new to them. They saw something they'd never seen before about God, and they would often build an altar, and that altar would be, I like to call them altars of remembrance, and they would remember something about the Lord. Now, now Abraham took Isaac because God told him, this is really a crazy story, I admit it. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom thou lovest, and I want you to sacrifice him unto me. And so Abraham built an altar and went to do that. Isaac was coming with him. Isaac, you know, he's saying, hey, Dad, we got the altar, we got the wood, we got the fire, we got all that. Where's, where's the sacrifice? That's a good question for Isaac to ask. Where's the sacrifice? And he said, the Lord will provide. And the Lord provided let me tell you this, this one, and I didn't mean to say this, but it's so powerful concept. Abraham knew that God had promised his lineage would come through Isaac. And the Bible says this. This is how faith-filled Abraham was. A Abraham believed this. I will sacrifice Isaac on the altar, and the Lord will raise him from the dead. He said he has to because God's not a liar. And he said that my offspring will come through Isaac. And so as he gets ready to do the deadly deed, God says, stop. He said, I have provided the sacrifice, and a ram is caught in the thickets by his horns, and the ram becomes the sacrifice. Now, we know this. It's a type and a foreshadow of the future of what God, our Heavenly Father, would do, that he would indeed actually plunge the knife, so to speak, into his son. And also, the grave couldn't hold him, and he has risen. But God did what... Abraham was willing to do, but said, no, I'll do that instead. But it's a wonderful type of shadow. So Abraham has this altar there, and he calls this uh, Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord is my provider. Jehovah-Jireh. Then Gideon, Gideon's going out to battle. If you remember the story of Gideon, they're crazy outnumbered anyway. I mean, crazy outnumbered by the Amalekites. And God says, I, I think it's too close of a battle. So let's whittle it down to 300 people. And so it gets whittled down to 300. Now, I don't know if you were the leader of an army of 300 and you're looking out at the landscape and the enemy that's against you is like locusts. They're everywhere. There's a sea of, of soldiers out there. You might be a little intimidated. We think all these people are just, oh, they weren't bothered by that at all. They're men and women of God. They had emotions and feelings just like you. And so Gideon was scared, scared down to his sandals, and the Lord said, Gideon, be at peace. Have no fear. You will not die. And so Gideon took a bunch of rocks and made an altar of remembrance, and, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Because God had revealed something about himself that they didn't previously know, that God's a God of peace and a God who gives peace. 
if you remember Moses and Moses and the children of Israel, Moses' days are coming to an end. Uh, they're in a battle against the Amalekites, and Joshua is the soldier out leading the army. And when, when Moses' hands are upheld, they were winning the battle. Now, if you've ever tried that, hold your hands up for a little bit. They will get tired really fast. And so when Moses' arms would drop, the Israelites would start losing the battle. And so a couple buddies came by, Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, and another guy named Hur, H-U-R, Hur. And they uh, sat Moses on a rock, and they held up his arms, and they had a wonderful victory. And Moses built an altar there. And he called the place Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. Now, the banner could mean a couple different things. I think it meant all these things. A banner is like a standard or a flag. If you ever see the military, they go out with a banner, what country, what army is being represented. And I think Moses was saying, Hold, we're not flying any banner of ours. We're flying a banner of the Lord. It was the Lord who brought victory in this battle. And also banners are points of celebration. You go into a city and they've got a big banner over the main street and they're celebrating something. I believe that also is true. There was a celebration to know God is our resource. He's the one who fights for us. He's the one who goes before us. And so they made that altar there and they called it uh, Jehovah uh, Nisi, God, our banner. And there's all kinds of stories like this in the Bible where we are told to remember because remembering is so important. See, what happens when we don't remember, when we forget our story, when we forget our story, we forget who we are. And even worse than that, we forget whose we are. Not just who we are, but whose we are. And so God knows that the gravitational pull of forgetfulness is on us all the time. We've all experienced it. We've all felt that where God's done wonderful things and we forget well, I don't want us to forget. When I was thinking about this message, I, I thought about uh, this place right here, this place, Crossroads Community Church, that actually 49 years ago, some people said, we're going to have a church. And many people have gone before you, and God has gone before, and they've served and given and worked and done everything they can to give us a wonderful place to worship today. So God... I don't want us to forget that. But when I think about Moses, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he's, he's talking about all kinds of things as his days are coming to an end. And so I believe he's picked his words wisely and chosen them. If you read through the book of, of Deuteronomy, you'll find it's a pretty long speech that Moses is giving, but there's a thread that flows all the way through this talk in Deuteronomy. And the, the thread that is flowing is remember. He's saying, and it's funny because you read, he, he says it multiple different ways. Remember not to forget. Okay, I like that. Then you'll read a little more from him, and he'll say, don't forget to remember. And then he says, remember to remember. And so, okay, Moses, I think you're trying to tell us something. You want us to remember. And the people wanted to remember. So I, I'm talking about remember to remember today. Because we do tend to forget. And what happens, I've done it, you've done it, I'm not picking on anybody, I've experienced the same things you have. God does wonderful things for us, we experience his deliverance, his helping hand, whatever, and then we forget. And so another crisis comes. Now I hate to tell you this, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trials, you will have crises, you will have, you will have problems. But don't forget the rest of the verse. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, trial, testing, but be of good cheer, 
Lift your head up, put a smile on your face, because I have overcome the world. And his overcoming is our overcoming. It wasn't just, too bad for you all, I've overcome, you just survive the best you can. He said, no, I've overcome, so therefore you're overcomers. So in this world, you'll have trouble and tribulation. The world's broken around us. We get that. But lift your head, hold your head up high, because I've overcome the world, and I've made you all overcomers. But when we forget that, we, we have a continual flow of anxiety and worry because we forgot he delivered last time and the time before that and the time before that. So every problem is like a new one where we're forgetting how good God has been to us. So I want to encourage you, don't forget. Remember to remember. Don't forget to remember. Remember not to forget. And so the story of our church family I was thinking about is just such an amazing labor of love. And nine years ago, we commissioned a little video, and probably most of you have not even seen it, but I thought I would share it today so you'd see where we have come from as a church family and, and where God wants to take us. So let's just pause for a moment and let's watch this anniversary video from our, our 40th anniversary.
Amen. That was 40 years and four minutes there. I, I think about this, and I've shared it before, but I, I want you to catch this. 49 years ago, this church began. And I, I want to take a moment just to recognize and say thank you. Uh, maybe you're here today, and maybe you weren't in the first meeting in the unfinished basement of founding pastor Earl Goff, but you were there in the first year or two of the founding of Crossroads. Would you stand to your feet? You were in the early days of Crossroads. Stand to your feet. Don't be shy. Come on. Let's see it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. That was Dan Small and Kathy Ambergie and Martha Burris, who's brother David Ammerman is normally sitting somewhere near her. Now, now, David Ammerman and Martha Burris, brother and sister, their father and mother, Fred and Becky Ammerman, which was up there, they offered the farm as collateral for this church. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but when you go into a bank and say, hey, we got a great idea. We want to borrow some money. We're going to start a church. Most banks don't go, that sounds like an incredible idea. We just can't wait to sink our money into that. So they offered their farm as collateral. And the church here, seriously, I know you're going to say, well, that can't be true out in the middle of cow country, but it is. This church, 49 years ago, was absolutely cutting edge. And I'm not joking about that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, first of all, this church did contemporary worship. Now, they did hymns and other things too, but contemporary worship. No, maybe a few people on the west or east coast were, but that was not normal. And so people would come in, and they would see a drum set, and a guitar, and a bass, and keyboard. And now that's not unusual now, but 49 years ago, I'll guarantee you there was people that got up and left and said, that's not a church. I mean, I don't know if it's a honky-tonk or a, you know, a club or something like that, but it's not a church. I mean, you know, it's kind of like lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I mean, guitars, bass, and drums, oh my. They can't, that can't be a real church. can't be a real church. Things that are commonplace today. This church did drama and welcomed the arts and did dinner theaters and things like that. Absolutely unheard of back then. I mean, the only arts basically in churches were a musical instrument and a voice. And but dinner theaters, creative ways to win the lost and reach out to people were done. Um, this church had a, uh, a school years ago. Now every community has a Christian school, but this was, you know, cutting edge back in the day. And then they had something, we had something called a multi-purpose room, which was unheard of. And so, now, the stuff I'm bragging about was long before I was here, so this isn't bragging on me, it happened long before I was here, but over in what we now call the Founders Chapel Cafe was our sanctuary, but it also could be a dinner theater, it also could be a uh, Christian school cafeteria, it also could be, you know, a place for recreation on a VBS, it could be anything. And so it was a multi-purpose room to be used for multiple things, which now is very common in churches. And we had chairs. Now, when I came here, the church had been around for 16 years, and I still had people in the, probably the first 10 years with some regularity, they would come to visit the church or come to join the church, and then they would ask me this. I'm not joking about this. They'd say, uh, do you all have a pew fund? Now, it's P-E-W, pew fund. Does anybody remember pews? They were benches, and, and uh, they were pews. And because their thinking was, I'm very serious about this, their thinking was, 
Real churches have pews. You don't have pews. I think you're a real church, so it must be you can't afford them. So that we need to take up an offering so this church can step it up and become a real church. And then you explain to them the reason why they need chairs that could be moved and the room could be set up for anything. That was still dumbfounding to them. Okay, uh, but we could at least explain why we wanted to do that. So, I want us to remember the hard work. I want us to remember the sacrifice that gave us a place, a wonderful place to worship in today. I also want us to remember it's not just about a building, although it's huge. I'm thankful for all this. I was raised in a church that probably had maximum seating capacity, about 80 people, a little country church. I remember one time just coming to be a guest speaker out here long before I ever pastored. I thought I was going to drive up to a little white country church like I was raised in. When I came around the corner there, I went, wow, somebody built something out here. You know, amazing. So I say thank you to all those. Many of them have gone on to be with the Lord. But I also want to remember, why was this established? It was established so we could remember the works of Jesus. It wasn't established just so we could have a nice building. We do have. Just so we could have a nice property. We do have. All that's wonderful. I'm thankful for it. I think you are too. I think you're thankful there's a nice, comfortable chair. In fact, chairs are common now. Pews are becoming more uncommon. Chairs are more common. It's nice to have a comfortable chair. It's nice to have heating and air conditioning. It's nice to have lighting. It's nice to have all kinds of things. It's nice to have working restrooms. I mean, it's nice to have a nice building. But the goal is that we can gather and celebrate the one who gave us life. So I want to remind you some things. Remember the works of Jesus. These are just a handful of things that Jesus came to do. The Bible says Jesus came to do these things. Some of these things Jesus said himself. He came to seek and save those who are lost. He's on a search and rescue mission. And he doesn't fail. And I want to tell you, you got some loved ones. You have some family members. You have some friends. You have some classmates. You have some neighbors. You have some co-workers that don't know Jesus yet. And don't get discouraged. I know you say, I've been praying for my cantankerous uncle for 35. It will keep on praying. Because the Bible says we should always pray and never give up. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And I want you to remember that. Because the enemy is going to whisper in your ear, give up. Forget it. They're just not one that's going to get it. And you need to say they are one that's going to get it because I'm praying. And I believe the word of God. The Bible said to Cornelius, he said, you and all your house will be saved. So believe that. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. You say, a ransom. We know what a ransom is by watching TV movies, don't we? You know, Mr. Jones has been, you know, abducted, and he's the president of a powerful corporation. And, and so they tell him, we're not going to let Mr. Jones go until you give us $10 million, and we'll pretend like it's all up and up, you know, abduction. And so you give the $10 million, and Mr. Jones is returned unharmed. Well, there was no way to rescue us. We didn't have what it took. But Jesus ransomed us with his life. He gave his life as a ransom for many. We had been abducted by sin and Satan and by the fall of this world. And God said, I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to win them back. And he gave his life as a ransom for many so we could enjoy his presence, enjoy life, enjoy eternal life. The Bible says that Jesus came to take away our sins. I mean, wow. If we just stopped right there, that would be good. To take away our sins, to make us right before God. That when God looks at us, he sees us as sinless and holy and perfect. 
Now, you may say that blows my mind. Good, it should. It should be mind-blowing. Go, oh my goodness, I woke up this morning holy. I woke up this morning right before God. I woke up this morning the righteousness of God in Christ. If you're a believer, I mean, that, that's not true for the whole world, but if you're a believer, if you've given your life to God, if Jesus is your Lord, then you woke up holy. I'll let you, something else should blow your mind. I'm not promoting sin, but let's say you've had a horrible day. You feel like you've done everything wrong. You put your head down the pillow at night. I want you to know this. Because of Jesus, you're still holy. Well, I felt like I didn't earn it today. Then you don't even understand the basics of the gospel. It's not by works, so no one can boast. It's a gift from God. Now, I don't want to preach a whole message on the fact that I'm not promoting sin. I'm just saying that on our best day, we're not really as good as we think we are. And so we always are throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I ask, is the devil messing in your life in any way? Usually he is. He's an enemy. He resists us. He's the enemy of our soul, the Bible says, so he can come against us. But I want you to know, Jesus came to destroy his works. And I believe he was successful. And so I need to remember when I feel like, and in fact, when we start confessing about how wonderful and powerful the devil is, well, the devil just does this, the devil does that, the devil beat me up over here, and the devil's did that. All that may be true, but I want you to know, there's a higher confession that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, sometimes when you preach this kind of stuff, people say, well, he's just, you know, preaching some pie-in-the-sky kind of Christianity. Let me tell you what I'm preaching. The Bible. The Bible. These are Bible verses. The Bible, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Believe it, confess it, pray it, trust it. Don't forget. Remember to remember. Jesus said this when I quoted it earlier. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. I have come that you might have life, what, abundantly, overflowing, overflowing. So we may forget what Jesus has done for us. I want to tell you this morning, don't forget then sometimes say, well, I haven't forgot, but I don't think he's done enough. Trust me, he's done enough. And when we say, yeah, but he didn't give me the raise I wanted. Okay. He didn't give me the job I wanted. He didn't give me the car I wanted. He hasn't healed my body yet. I still got some broken relationships. I'm still struggling through stuff. Okay. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep trusting God. Let's keep believing. He's done more than enough. I want to sketch the heart of the Jewish people. The Jewish people have something every year they call Passover or the Seder meal or the Seder supper. Now, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a time of remembrance. And what they do, and if you've never attended a Seder or Passover, I'd encourage you to do it. We've done it here many times in the past. What happened is, just to give you a refresher in case you say, I've, this is the first time I've been in church, I don't even know what you mean when you say Passover, Seder. That's okay. If this is the first time you've been in church, thank you for being here. We welcome you. We don't want you to feel out of place. We, we'll, we'll tell you the story. The children of Israel were captive in Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt, and God came to rescue them with a mighty hand. Do you remember the story? Came to rescue them with a mighty hand. And guess what? He did it. And there was one plague that was coming, the death of the firstborn. And so the Lord told the people, the Hebrew people, he said, you, you have this lamb. It's a whole cool story, but they end up sacrificing the lamb, and the blood of the lamb is put on the the top of the door, the sides of the door, and the, the entrance to the door. It does indeed make a cross. And here was the thing. Whoever has the blood over the doorpost of their house 
the death angel will pass over. Hence the word Passover. And so all the Hebrew people, they put that over their doorpost. The Egyptians did not. And they were all spared. And so they have, they have this Passover meal. And during this Passover meal, there's a part in the Passover, it's really cool, there's like 15 things, I don't remember it all completely, there's 15 things where they're remembering what God did, because God's big about remembering, and we should be big about remembering. And so there's a point in the, in the, the supper where whoever's leading will say, hey, I just want you to know this, God has done wonderful things for us. And if he had, and I probably won't mess up the order, but you'll get the idea, if, if he if he would have just delivered us out of Egypt and not dealt with the people, the, the evil leaders, it would have been enough. And so they had a word for that. It's dienu. Dienu. And that's how we always pronounced it. And I figure us English-speaking people probably butcher the Hebrew a lot, but that's how most Hebrew people I looked up say it, dienu. And so they would say, if he would have delivered us from Egypt but not dealt with the evil leaders, it would have been enough dienu. And then they said, if he would have dealt with the evil leaders, but not dealt with the idols in the land, dienu, it would have been enough. If he would have dealt with the idols, but not dealt with the firstborn, dienu, it would have been enough. If he would have dealt with the firstborn, but not delivered the abundance of Egypt into their hands, I don't know if you know that, but they left wealthy people. They spoiled Egypt. They, they left with the wealth of Egypt. It would have been enough. And they keep going. It would have been enough. He, if he hadn't parted the sea, it would have been enough. If he'd, and, it keeps going, and they keep going, Dainu, Dainu, Dainu. It would have been enough. It would have been enough. It would have been enough. Well, I want us to catch that heart today, and I want to look at Psalm 103. This is a great verse for Christians as well. And I was thinking about Dainu. It would have been enough. When I was looking at Psalm 103, 1 through 5, Psalm 103, the first couple of verses say, Praise or bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise or bless his holy name. Praise the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Benefits. Now, are we all in agreement that forget not is like, he could have said remember, right? Remember, remember, don't forget all of his benefits. And then he begins listing these benefits. And so what I want us to do with some audience participation is when we say one, you can read the verse along with me, and then we'll all say together, Dainu, okay? And you can, I mean, you don't have to scream it, but I think it'd be better than Dainu. Okay, you can say, you know, with the normal speaking voice, Dainu, or louder if you want. So first two verses, bless the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits. Now here's some benefits. I want you to know, I didn't make these up. This is the Bible. I don't know what everybody believes. I know what I believe and what I believe we believe here, and that is that the word of God is just that, the word of God. That holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and that all scripture is God breathe. It's all inspired, exhaled by God. So these are not my words, these are God's words, and we're challenged, don't forget these. Remember these, remember these benefits, so let's remember them. You ready to read with me? We'll read the first line and say Dianu together. Who forgives all your sins, Dianu. Now think about that. Isn't it true if we stopped right there, that would be enough? I mean, if we could stand before God sinless because of Jesus 
have salvation and eternal life, dienu, that would be enough. But God says, it ain't enough. I'm going to do some more. So let's read the next one. And heals all your diseases, dienu. Okay, so he's healed us, gave us health spiritually, health physically, dienu, that would have been enough. But God says, I ain't done yet. He probably doesn't use the word ain't, but yeah, he probably does. Probably does. Whatever relates to us. You ready for number four? Who redeems your life from the pit, Dianu. Who redeems your life from the pit. Now, I'm telling you that I see on social media at times people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they're kind of marginalized in their walk with God. And again, I'm not trying to beat them up or be holier than thou or be the judge of it. But what typically is on their posts is how awful their life is. And we even say this phrase, man, my life's the pits. And their life's the pits. And so they're always complaining and, and, and struggling and fighting and having a problem. Now, I get this. I already told you this. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. I want you to know that your life is not supposed to be in the pit. It's not supposed to be in the pit. And if you visit the pit for a moment, remember this. He redeems your life from the pit. He redeems it. I want you to, this is the Bible. He redeems your life from the pit. So, now, you may be, that's where I'm at today. I'm not beating you up. I get it. Just remember, oh, good. I don't have to stay here. He redeems my life from the pit. The Bible says that he reaches down and pulls us out of the miry, that's mucky, sticky clay, and sets our feet on a rock. That's what the Bible says. So, I don't have to stay in the pit. Dianu. Amen. Would have been enough, but it ain't enough for God. God says, and crowns you. Now, think about crown. I mean, it, crowns are very obvious. They're very prominent. They, they give you a place of honor. It, it's something when you're wearing a crown. He says, he crowns you with love and compassion. Dianu. That would have been enough. But God says, it ain't enough. Who satisfies your desires with good things, Dianu. Wow. Amen. Yeah. Do you have some desires? Now, now again, I get it. Because there are people who say, well, that's just a prosperity gospel. No, it's not, because the prosperity gospel is not even a gospel. But entwined in a walk with God are benefits. I'm just telling you what God said. Now, you can look up to heaven and say, God, I don't believe you, and, and I think he's lying to me. I'm just telling you what God says. He satisfies your desires with good things. Have all of your desires always been perfect? No, but he redeems you from the pit, and he satisfies your desires with good things. So you should not have, and I meet people like this, Hey, if anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. I'm not going to say that. Well, Tracy, haven't you had bad things happen to you? Yes, I have. But I'm not going out promoting it and looking for it. So I want my desires to be satisfied with good things. And so I want to confess the word here. He satisfies 
my desires with good things, and I could say that would be enough, but then there's more. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles, die new. I think I lost you all on that one. Let's say that one again. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles, die new. These are wonderful, powerful blessings from God. And it is right and fitting for us to say, Dianu, that would be enough. God, that would be enough. But just because it's right and fitting and humble and good and proper for us to say, oh my goodness, Lord, you've done more than enough, it's God's business to say when he's done enough. So don't forget that. And so don't fight it. Just thank the Lord and say, okay, that, that's enough. I'll tell you a little story. It, it, I think I've shared it before. It, uh, I felt like the Lord spoke something to me, and, and you can, you know, think he did or didn't. That's not really the point of the story. You'll get the point of the story. I was driving down the road, and this wasn't all that long ago, and I thought of something, that, and I thought, well, I'd like to have that. As soon as I thought I'd like to have that, now I want to tell you, I feel blessed. I'm happy. I'm not discontent. I, I'm blessed. And so... I thought I'd like to have that, and as soon as I thought that, a thought came across my mind that I felt was the Lord, and again, it won't matter to the story one way or the other, whether it is or isn't, but I felt like he said, ask me for it. And I said, Lord, I could never ask you for that. I am so blessed. You've been so good to me. I have so much. I just could I would feel like I was ungrateful and, and uh spoiled if I would dare ask you for that and so I didn't ask him for it then a few days later I thought okay if that was the Lord why should you ever tell the Lord I'm sorry I'm not going to obey you I'm not going to do what you told me to do now again I like having a heart that feels blessed and happy and joyful and not needing anything but that wasn't the point so I asked the Lord I said okay I'll, I'll ask you for it and I have not yet received it. And if I never receive it, I'm fine. You're all getting an email this week about what the item is and how to pitch in to make that happen. No, you're, you're not. Because I've discovered this about the Lord. If he really speaks some system, he can do it without me trying to help it along. He, he can take care of it. And if I never get it, I'm happy. My mom used to say this, I'm as happy as if I had my right mind. I'm happy. So when God says, I just want to give more and more and more, just say thank you. You can say, I don't deserve it. This is more than enough. Oh, my goodness. This is, I'm loaded down. You know, the Bible says he loads us down with blessings. Yeah, daily. Yeah, almost forgot that. Daily. Not once or twice in your life, but daily. And just thank him for it. Well, I just feel like I would have too much and I'd be greedy. Give it away. I don't know why Christians can't get this. Give it away. Well, I got a promotion at work. I'm making more money, and I know what to do with it. Give it away. There's always somebody who could use some help. Bless, bless some people. You don't have to become greedy and hold it all to yourself. Give it away. That's the, that actually is a scriptural way. He blesses us to be a blessing. Give it away. You know, those who have been here for a while know that the Combs family, that's Wayne Combs and Jennifer Combs and and the three kids, Daniel and Chloe and Heidi, have moved down to Alabama where the two older girls are. And uh, they moved not real long time ago. Well, um, Chloe has had a birthday since they've moved. Now, for those who don't know this, Wayne Combs, Chloe's father, 
is brother to my wife, Darlene. So they're brother and sister, so Chloe's our niece. Well, Chloe was having a birthday coming up, and, and she wasn't going to be nearby. So Darlene got this big box, and she put some stuff in there. And I looked in there, and it was a pretty generous gift. And I said, Dianu, you know, that'll be enough. <laughs> and, uh, but Aunt Darlene said, it ain't enough. And so this box was out for six weeks. I knew it was going to keep getting filled up as time went by. And so more went in it, more went in it, more went in it. And, uh, and so, you know, she zips it all up and gives it to me to deliver. And so I say, I pick it up and go, wow, it's a big box. It's heavy. I said, you're going to be shocked what this is going to cost. Now, now we're pretty thrifty. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm not stingy. I'm Scottish. And so Scottish people are thrifty. And so I said, this is, this is going to cost something. And, and, and Darlene's very thrifty, too. She's not just wasting money, but this is her niece, probably the closest thing we have to a grandchild. And so I just want you to know this, it didn't matter what it was going to cost. Now, it might have mattered for something else, but it didn't matter for this. So I took it in there, and I came back and reported to her. That cost $60 to send. Then it just cost $60, okay? So Heidi's birthday's coming up now. There was a box. I said, if you, can, if you can get a smaller box, we'll save a little money in shipping. You can still load it up heavy with stuff. Again, I'm not cheap. I'm Scottish. And, uh, and so it kept getting loaded up. And there was no Dianu to any of this stuff, that that would be enough. Aunt Darlene is going to bless them. And then we all have our different capacities. I get that. I mean, obviously, we're not blessing her like a, you know, a multimillionaire would. And, we're blessing her more than we would if we were 25. You remember being newly married at 25? You know, you found lunch money in the couch. That, that's how it used to be. So, but we blessed her as best we could to our, our extent of that. And God's like that. You know, the Bible actually says, if you being evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will God give good gifts to those who ask him? Hmm interesting. That's just the Bible. So I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to forget who we are. I don't want us to forget whose we are. I don't want to forget those who have gone before us to give us a wonderful place to worship in and bless the Lord in. I want us to remember to remember. Because our God is the one, it says of him, and now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Our God's capacity is huge. And he tells, don't forget all my benefits, he says. So keep remembering. Say, well, I, I've tried and didn't get certain things. Let's just quit saying that and just say, how about we just add the word yet to it? Haven't gotten that yet. That's okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong, just like my little issue I told. If I never get that, I am as happy and blessed and joyful in the Lord, and it will, not, it will not diminish one tiny bit of my joy. And I've also discovered this over the years. I have such joy and hope and happiness in the Lord that although I like things, they can't give me the joy that God gives. I was in computer business for years and as in corporate sales and sometimes a sales manager would come down from from Apple Incorporated and 
and say, yeah, get a vision for something, you know, get a picture of a car, a picture of this or that, put it on your refrigerator, let it motivate you to go sell, sell, sell. And I thought about that, and I couldn't ever find anything that motivated me like that because I really felt like all my motivation and joy and happiness and peace was in God. I had a little motivation to keep a job and feed the family and do all that, but there's, there was no thing. And by the way, if you do that, I'm not opposed to that at all. I'm just telling you it didn't work for me. I just, there wasn't a thing I could find that just so ignited me that I was going to work like crazy to get that thing because all my thing stuff was so fulfilled in Jesus. So let's remember to remember. I want to give you an assignment for the week. Do something to remember. Do something to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. I just came up with some ideas. You can have your own ideas. You get a little printout of a rock formation, kind of like on our cover slide, or there's a gazillion of them out there, and just print it out on the printer and put it on your refrigerator, bathroom mirror. I don't care, your car, wherever, that's an idea. And when you see those stones, you can remember, ah, that's what the children of Israel used to do. They used to make altars of remembrance, and it helps you remember. And then I had a great idea for me. I don't know if you look at your phone a lot, but I do. I found a rock formation and made it my, what, what do you call it, that opening screen or home screen or whatever, my phone. So now I look at it, I see those rocks, and it just, I mean, it works. I just remember, just like that, remember. You can start with a, your day with a remember confession. Lord, I just confess all your goodness to me. And you can just go through and remember all the wonderful things he's done for you. You can memorize a Bible verse about remembering. We're going to look at Psalm 77 as we close today. You can have prayers of thanksgiving based upon your remembrance. You could learn to sing, look what the Lord has done. Most of you sound like you already knew it. And you could sing that because you're remembering when you do that. Or one of a million other things you could do to help you remember. To help you remember his goodness, how many times he's come through. You don't have to go through all the anxiety and worry and fear again. You can just trust God. And so you're saying, Tracy, there will never be anything the world will ever want or hope for or ask for that we won't get. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I want to live a life in hopeful expectation not in despair. I'd like to draw my last breath here on planet Earth, hoping and believing for something for tomorrow. You know what I mean? Why not? Why not? Why not? 